On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Winston Clements, an award-winning TEDx speaker whose mission is to inspire people to create a world without limitations. We discuss what to look for in an accountability partner, how to inspire staff to be resilient, moving past your comfort zone, even when it hurts, and overcoming adversity. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Winston, thanks for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. I appreciate you having me on, Edith. Uh, Winston, for those that don't know you, can you can you share a bit of your backstory and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So with my backstory, I was actually born with a disability, a condition known as brittle bones disease. And what this condition meant was that I had to, well, I had to endure a lot of broken bones, a lot of fractures when I was younger. So my childhood was colored mostly by a lot of visits in and out of hospital, in and out of surgery which were difficult moments, but luckily as I got older, the condition began to stabilize a little bit and I was then able to go on and complete my school, go to university and then jump into the corporate world. Today, I'm actually not so much doing corporate work, but I'm actually living my passion as a motivational speaker. So that's what I do and I get to speak to some really cool audiences and I get to travel and this is what my life is about now and I really enjoy giving back using my story and helping people to overcome their limitations. How did you make that shift from a, from working in corporate to, you know, now inspiring, you know, thousands of people? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's one thing that triggered it. I would say it's probably, probably something that I, I've always been aware of, that in some ways I believe that there was a reason why I was born, the way that I was born with a condition, you know, being a small guy looking completely different and using a wheelchair. And I always believe that I have a way of connecting with people quite easily. So I make friends wherever I go, even if I'm in the street, strangers feel compelled to come and speak to me. And so I guess I always, in the back of my mind, thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could go from sharing my story with, with one person at a time to actually speaking to bigger groups of audiences and hopefully inspiring them to be better? whatever it is they're trying to do and I guess the sort of turning point was when I started to feel a little bit unfulfilled with my corporate work so I had a really successful career worked for major global organizations but now this nagging feeling that there was something missing that I needed to do something more fulfilling was growing every single day and so that's when I decided to you know try public speaking initially to small groups and then eventually opportunities presented themselves, including a TEDx, which has been quite well received and has a ton of views on YouTube. And and then after that, you know, many doors open and I've been able to speak to many more groups and travel internationally to do it as well, for which I'm truly grateful. I love how things have just, you know, transpired for the better. You know, you, you put yourself out there, you experimented with a bit of public speaking and it just shows what's possible when you put yourself out there, you know, extending beyond your comfort zone and, you know, taking those steps forward. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to say it was super easy and super natural because 
I think for many people listening, they, they might be feeling similar thoughts or ideas to what I was feeling at the time, which is, I know I want to have a different life. I want to play at a higher level. But at the same time, the comfort zone is the most familiar place, right? So you want to stay there and kind of hold on to what you know for as long as possible. So, you know, for anybody listening, if you do want to have a shift or try something different, then definitely start looking at what is beyond the comfort zone. And you don't have to go and speak on stage or, you know, do something really high profile. You could start with one small tweak every single day and see where that gets you. Yeah, uh, it, that, that's great advice. Often it doesn't need to be anything big. Like you said, you don't need to make that massive jump from, you know, talking to no one to talking to, you know, in a big stadium. Sometimes it's only, you know, those little steps that slowly get to where you want to go. How are you now pushing yourself outside your comfort zone now? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, the public speaking is something that I've come to enjoy. But I'll be honest, Aiden, even now when I go on the stage, I do have a sense of, nervousness and apprehension and I think it's normal because especially when you're going to be in a in a public arena and you know, speaking to audiences I think it's actually healthy to have those feelings of almost positive anxiety right because that almost makes you more more present and more focused in what you're delivering and the other thing that I'm trying to do more this year in addition to public speaking is to work on my writing and to also work on my my video content so I actually find it a lot easier to speak on stage than to create a video for YouTube, believe it or not, because somehow talking to a camera is a bit more daunting for me than talking to a hundred people in a live audience. So I'm trying to do more of that and share my, my ideas and hopefully inspire more people through the various platforms, whether it's speaking live or through YouTube or through my writing. Yeah, wonderful. It's, um, I can definitely relate to the, the video content being more daunting for me, I guess writing and, and audio come a little bit easier. But as soon as as soon as you ask, you know, to put a video in front of my face, it's um I sort of free, freeze up, and I've I've sort of been on and off at putting video content out there. But it's wonderful that you're um you know you're making a, a really clear effort to to put more video content out there in this day and age. I think it's a, it's a great medium that a lot, a lot of people can get on board, especially with platforms like YouTube um, mm. in terms of distribution. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this is, like you say, it, it's such a good tool that we have, you know, platforms like YouTube because these are not available to us. You know, 20 years ago, there was no YouTube, right? So, and now we have all these platforms which you can leverage for free, whether you're, you're a speaker, whether you're a entrepreneur or run any other type of business. This is such an effective way of creating some free content to market you, to market your story, your brand, and, and let people know who you are and what you're about. So, you know, for those people who are looking to have a shift, maybe creating a video or creating a written article might be one of the first steps to look at. Yeah, taking those little steps forward and it might, you know, might only be a two minute video, but at least that's a step, in, you know, in if you want to create more video content, then that can definitely take you there. Are you taking a like similar step by step process trying to break it down or are you making, you know, bigger leaps in terms of what you're planning to do with your video? So I decided, so this video thing has been on the cards for a long time. So I said in 2019, I'm going to hold myself truly accountable. So what I did was I've signed an agreement with a videographer. And so what we do is we meet up once a month and we spend basically a whole afternoon to shooting videos and so that could be like a you know four hour shoot and 
I just literally did as much content as I can in that session. And then he goes away and sort of edits it and packages it all up and makes it look nice. So the reason why I decided to go with this approach is because I found that when I said I was going to do everything myself, you know, the filming, the editing and all that kind of thing, it just never happened. It just felt too overwhelming. So now I know all I have to do is show up once a month, spend this half a day shooting and I'm going to have some some pieces to post on, on the video platforms. Yeah, that, that's a great self-awareness to have, you know, not only the fact that you know how you are putting it off, but also how to break through that, find someone to keep you accountable so that you can meet that 2019 goal of yours. What's your perspective on the value of, of having an accountability, I guess, partner for those out there, you know, struggling to make any change? Are there any things you look for in an accountability partner? Yeah, so for me, accountability, to be honest, I've only been exposed to accountability over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's it's a concept that many people are aware of, but maybe not as many have actually fully tried going through an accountability process. And for me, if I'm truly honest, a lot of the things, the big things I've been able to achieve have been probably only possible because I had somebody holding me accountable and pushing me. And, you know, for people listening and maybe wondering, you know, how do I get started with an accountability partner? It can be simple as, you know, just saying to your partner, and this could be a romantic partner, this could be a family member, this could be a colleague at work or any friend, just say to them, this is what I want to work on this week. I have this goal. For example, my goal this week is to post a video on YouTube. And I just need you to check in on me every single day this week, Monday to Friday and make sure that I'm staying on track with this goal of posting a video on YouTube. And it's such a, maybe a, a weird counterintuitive psychological thing that when you know that there's going to be somebody checking in on you, you feel more compelled to, to deliver on your promises as opposed to when we just make promises to ourselves. So if I just said, okay, I'm going to do this video and I didn't have anybody holding me accountable, we're more okay with letting ourselves down than we are with letting other people down. So that's why accountability, I believe, has given me that extra 10, 20% because I just don't want to let my body down or for them to see that I'm not the type of guy who sticks to my word. Yeah, there's that, I guess, social pressure from others when you when you voice what you want to do to somebody else. You've got that pressure then, you know, and then someone else also knows about your goal. Like you said, it's a lot harder to to then get out of it because, you know, someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, look, have you done that video yet? Or, you know, whatever whatever task or um, objective you're going after. So it's definitely yeah. um, definitely quite valuable to, to find somebody that can, you know, that's got your back and that can be supportive and that can keep you doing what you said you were going to do. Yeah, because we're, we're very good at justifying excuses to ourselves, but it's a lot harder to justify an excuse to somebody else. So those excuses that might seem reasonable when you say them to yourself, like, for example, I didn't have the time this week or, you know, I had a really tough day at work and so I'm going to put this goal off till next week. It's easier for you to accept that excuse, but it's a lot harder when you try to articulate the same thing to your accountability partner, right? So it just makes it harder to get out of your commitments, which is actually a good thing in this case because it forces you to, to deliver more than you would normally. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It definitely keeps you on track and, you know, make, making progress towards whatever goal you have. You've had a lot of experience in, I guess, being resilient and sort of, you've had a really challenging upbringing. And how did you overcome it? It would have been easier for you to just give up 
and say, look, I've got, I've got a disability. I can't do anything. And, you know, it would have been easy for you to go with the masses and give up early on. What, what kept you thinking that, look, there's a higher purpose for me in this world? Yeah. And to be honest, I then when, when I speak to people, one of the things that I say is, I mean, even though I was born with a disability and I had those physical challenges to contend with, especially during childhood, I actually don't see myself as having lived a harder life than anybody else, right? And I think society sometimes creates this impression that certain people have it better than others or worse than others. So, you know, disabled people, people from certain ethnic community or people from a certain sexual orientation, these are boxes that society likes to put in sometimes. But the way I view it is that, you know, whatever problem you're having, Aiden, you know, it might not be the same as mine, but in your world, this is the biggest thing that's happening right now. And so you can't compare the situation. And I guess to your point about resilience, so for me, I, I don't even see myself as being, you know, 10 times or even twice as resilient as the next person. But I think one thing that really helped me, and this kind of feeds off the last thing that we talked about, was just having really good people around me. So having a family from the onset who who saw me as just another kid. They didn't treat me differently. They didn't look to put me in a special school or wrap me up in cotton wool. They they knew I was going to have some challenges. They knew I was going to have to do things differently to perhaps other kids. But at the same time, they were prepared to expose me while encouraging me to just go out there and believe that I am capable as anybody else. So in, in some, in a funny way, I guess they were holding me accountable to normal standards as opposed to letting me think that I needed special care. And I think that played a big part for me in the beginning. Yeah, it, it definitely would have. And I mean, environment's such an important thing. For those who might be around the wrong people or the people that aren't sort of allowing them to be the best that they can, do you have any advice for changing environments, whether it's somebody, for example, working at a, a workplace where, you know, the, the people around them sort of bringing them down? Are there ways in which you can change your environment that you would suggest? Yes. Yeah, so, and, and this is a question which I hear quite often, because yeah, there are those people who maybe don't have the same stable family structure that maybe you and I had, Aiden. So for those people, what I normally say is you can actually manufacture your own network. And by that, I mean, maybe you're not in a, in a positive environment or an environment that allows you to flourish at home. There's nothing stopping you from putting yourself in situations and surrounding yourself with people who do bring out the best in you and who do believe in you. And a couple of practical things you can do is, for example, if you're an entrepreneur and, you know, I'm guessing many people listening to this are, sometimes it can be quite tough as an entrepreneur because you have a business idea and, you know, some business ideas are big or really unique or really different to maybe what our parents and our family are accustomed to in terms of business. So you present this idea to your your mom, your dad, you know, I want to quit my job in banking and I want to go and travel the world and teach yoga. And, you know, your parents look at you like you've lost your mind, right? And they're actually, they're not doing it from a place of negativity. They're actually doing it from a place of them trying to protect you. And so for that person, what I would recommend is, Yes, you don't have to go and stop speaking to your parents completely and, you know, exclude them from everything that you're doing. But what you can do is be proactive in putting yourself in those situations, whether it means going to 
a networking event for other travelers or other yoga teachers or, you know, reading the, the correct books that are related to the thing that you're trying to achieve and just giving yourself that growth mindset and exposing yourself to situations of continuous learning so that even if you're not getting the full support from your from your partner or from your family, you're then able to get that support using other platforms or using other situations which you've created by making relationships at your networking events. Yeah, and I mean, these days, there are so many different ways to access that information. I mean, you've got articles online, you've got YouTube videos, you've got podcasts. There's sort of an endless supply of if there's something you want to learn in this world, you know, somebody's put a put something together to, to teach you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Information has never been easier to access. If anything, there's probably too much information available, which maybe makes people feel a little bit overwhelmed. But for anyone who might be kind of feeling this right now, just about taking the first step. Don't try to think about, you know, everything that you need to learn in order to become, you know, that entrepreneur or that public speaker, that coach. Just think of what's the first thing that I need to look at this week? Do I need to attend one networking event this week? Do I need to start reading one book or do I need to publish a video on Facebook and see what kind of response I'm getting to my topic? So just taking that first step and then the rest of the road will just appear in front of you. Yeah, it comes back down, I guess, earlier on in that conversation about leaving our comfort zone. Mm. And it's not about having the, the whole plan mapped out end to end. Sometimes you might only be able to see one or two steps ahead, like you said. And sometimes that's all you need before, you know, before the next step appears and you just keep making those small changes, small continual improvements to get to where you want to get to. Yeah, um, yeah. because sometimes I think we obsess too much about the how and how everything is going to unfold because we have a rigid plan or a rigid set of steps as to how we believe that this should unfold. But, you know, take the first step and then be open to the universe guiding you towards the best possible direction to get you to your destination. What's your advice on dealing with setbacks? So say you, you set down this, you know, this path and you might make some initial progress, which is great. And then you keep these blockers or roadblocks. What's your advice for people sort of dealing with problems that arise? Yeah, sure. I think a couple of the things we've talked about that would help with this already are accountability. So have accountability because those are the people who will pick you up. In those moments when you're having a setback or you're just having a bad day or you're just fed up because nothing that you're trying is working. If you have accountability or you surround yourself in a good environment, that will definitely kind of help you snap out of it and stop you from, you know, feeling too much pity on yourself. The second thing, which is another that we touched on already is learning to trust the process and stepping out of your comfort zone. So. Once you have a setback, don't see a setback as the end. There's a famous quote that says, see every failure as a form of feedback. So whenever you hit a setback, just use it as feedback and think about what you need to adjust, what you need to change in terms of your strategy to perhaps give you a different outcome. Because initially, whenever you're trying anything, whether it's a new career, a new business, or even a new relationship, it's about testing and seeing what works and what doesn't. So don't see a setback as the end. And then the final thing which I would add here is around having having a big mission or a big sense of purpose in whatever it is that you plan to do. So you might have come across this, Aiden, and I have for sure, is many people start a business thinking about, in many ways it's ego-driven because they think about financial gain, they think about, I want to buy a house, I want to go on 
five holidays a year and I want to do all, all of these extravagant things. And, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to have a glamorous life. We all want that. I want that too. But I think when your mission is tied to a bigger sense of mission, something that is bigger than you, and often it will be something related to giving back to your community, to the world, to audiences. So when you tie your mission into something as big as that, that is not necessarily related to you, I find that act as a really good way of driving you and helping you move forward when the setbacks come. In, in my case, I made it my mission to speak to a billion people and help them overcome their limitations. So even if I'm having a bad day, Aiden, even if I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do this speaking big today because I have a cold, then I've still got this nagging, you know, big mission in the back of my mind saying, hey, you know, you committed to speaking to one billion people. Are you going to let a, a cough or a cold stop you from living your mission? Yeah, I mean, I agree exactly with, with those statements. I mean, it's, it's so important to define, you know, your purpose or, or mission to be, to be greater than yourself. And it's got to be, if you're starting a business, for example, it has to be, has to be more than just the money and just what you can gain from it. And as soon as you make it, as soon as you make your business to solve a problem that's bigger than you, then every setback that come, that you come across is just, uh, you know, fork on the road to achieving that, you know, to, to achieving the solution to the problem. So it's just part of the process then, as opposed to you taking it personally, what, you know, as to why you can't do it. So it's definitely super valuable for those listening that if you haven't quite defined why you do what you do or what you're doing it for or who you're doing it for, then I would encourage you to, to take the time to reflect on, you know, what that could look like. And Winston, yours is amazing. I mean, you know, to inspire over a billion people to, you know, create a world without limitations. Do you find a lot of the limitations that we place on ourselves are all sort of self-made? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe as we we all have infinite potential to achieve whatever it is that we we would like to achieve in this life. And, you know, for me, when I say I want to help one billion people, I mean, okay, one billion is a big number and, you know, I might not necessarily hit that target completely, but by setting the bar so high, you know, even if I'm able to help one million people or even 10,000 people, it's a lot better to set your, your bar high and come up short than to set it low and actually hit, right? So I think, and, and I think that's something that Les Brown speaks on a lot. For many people, the problem is that they set the bar too low and they actually hit the target and then realize that, oh, you know, this doesn't feel great because I didn't set the bar high at all. So, so yeah, in terms of how people can practically push themselves further, it all comes down to being willing to stretch yourself and don't take it personally again when one particular situation doesn't go in the direction that you hope. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, yeah, all, all part of a bigger mission and bigger purpose. For those that are running businesses, and they themselves have, have a sense of resilience. How do they then inspire their staff to, to be resilient? How do they set the example for their staff? Is it, sorry, is it just a matter of setting the example or are there other ways that you can inspire your staff to be more, more resilient? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And most of my speaking is actually, I do a lot of my speaking in corporate environments. So. These are situations like the ones you're referring to where you have teams and these are often teams that are performing in high pressure, high stress situations, right? And, and for them, having 
the resilience to going, even when things are, even when the pressure is high, even when they have big deadlines, even when they have maybe negative environments in the workplace because everybody's biting each other's head off because they're under pressure as well. So for me, I found that to be, to be such an important audience for me. And also because it's an audience that I can relate to because I came from a corporate background as well. So I can almost feel some of the struggles and some of the pain that they experience. And in terms of the advice that I give them, I think one of the main ideas that I use to challenge them is to, sorry, to start embracing diversity, adversity. So embrace adversity as something to literally look forward to and see adversity not as something that is causing you damage, but as something that is shaping you into a better and the best version of yourself. So a lot of people, and I think we touched on this when we talked about setbacks, when they get the setback, they see it as the end of the road. But what if you were to flip that around and say, actually, what is this setback? What is this adversity? What is this obstacle teaching me? What lessons can I take from this? And then when you're able to take away the lessons out of the adversity, you'll find that this automatically builds up a stronger level of resiliency because the next time you're facing a similar challenge, you're not going to see it as the end. You're going to remember, your brain is going to link it back to the situation that you were able to overcome before and say, hey, we've handled this before. We can definitely do it again. And even if it's something completely new, then you just take the lessons from that new situation and rinse and repeat. And so that's one of the key messages that I share with my my, my corporate group. Yes, yeah, that, that, that I guess building up of a like a, a case study basically of yourself saying, look, I've been in a similar situation before and I was able to push through it and use that as a as a marker to say, look, I've done it before, I can do it again. And then, yeah, it, like even if this, like you said, even if the situation's a bit different, it's the fact that you're able to overcome previous setbacks and all you need is sort of one one example to, to get you moving. So it's, uh, it's really valuable advice and one that I, I have a lot of people sort of take on board and start to, you know, not only do it themselves, but sort of teach their, their staff as well, that they're much more resilient than they think they are. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Because yeah, like I said, I, I believe we all have infinite resources. And, you know, a lot of the time we try to look for the answers outside when we already have all the answers internally. It just normally comes down to, uh, a lack of belief, a lack of self-belief and a lack of understanding what we're truly capable of and, you know, how much we're able to achieve when we're being resourceful. And and so hopefully people listening will take that message on board as well. Definitely, yeah. It's amazing what the human, you know, human mind and body is capable of. And, you know, you hear, I guess, examples of, you know, exceptional people in the world, but it's not that they're exceptional. It's that they've, you know, they've taken these steps to, you know, overcome adversity and, and to build up a bit of resilience that they've been able to get that far. It's, it's definitely far more achievable by, by many more people than, than we think. Is that something you teach in terms of, you know, we are, what well, sounds like you do. We are, you know, much more capable than, than we think we are. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think there's a lot of neuroscience behind this as well, which is something that I'm also tying into my messages, especially when I, when I speak to, to, team, to teams and to corporate groups because I think the way that we're created and I'm sure you, Adrian, and the audience will be familiar, you know, we have a almost a prehistoric brain and we're trying to, we're still, we're still using this brain to function in a completely modern world. So, you know, whenever our, our brain sees any danger and, you know, 
in today's world, danger could mean, you know, an email from your boss about a deadline that's coming. You know, that, that, that could cause you stress and overwhelm. When initially, this mechanism was created for us to protect ourselves from, you know, saber-toothed tigers or from, you know, from getting bit by a snake in the forest. And we used to live that type of life. So, so nowadays, you know, there's so many things that can trigger that that negative stress and overwhelm. And I think it's so important to, to almost use these practices of, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone, accountability, having big mission and purpose and putting yourself in positive environments because this is a way of actually retuning your brain and forcing it to snap out of its default settings, which is to constantly detect danger, you know, whether it's saber tooth tiger or an email from your boss. Yeah, that's too true. I guess the, um, you know, our prehistoric, um, brain is sort of playing catch up and it's, it's that sort of difference to, I guess, the modern mind and, you know, the, what we're experiencing these days and we're sort of hardwired to, to have that, you know, flight of, uh, flight of fight response in us. Exactly. Uh, Winston, a question I like to ask all guests on the podcast is what's your definition of the grind? Grind. Yeah. So for me, the grind is, I guess as an entrepreneur, I think you hear a lot of entrepreneurs talking about the grind and, you know, how much effort and hard work, even people like Gary Vee and other big influencers in the entrepreneur world, you know, talk about how hard they work and what kind of hours they put in. And I think this is, a, this is an important thing to do, of course, because nothing good comes without hard work and dedication. But for me, the grind means also being very strategic in how you apply your efforts because I believe there are, there are things which you can do that give you more leverage in life and in business. And there are things that you can do other things which take just as much time, but they don't give you the same amount of leverage, right? So for example, because this, this audience, I presume there'll be a lot of entrepreneurs, a non-leveraged task perhaps would be, you know, making your website look pretty, spending hours, many hours making your website look perfect and have the best pictures and, you know, be, be super elegant to look at. And whilst it's important to have, you know, something like a good website, I believe more important is to get yourself into, for example, networking situations or situations where you will be able to speak directly to a prospect or the type of person who you would like to have as a client. So, Engaging in those conversations, for me, I would rather spend two hours meeting new people and talking to potential prospects or potential people that you could form alliances with than spending that same two hours making my website look pretty. If I had to choose, then I'll definitely choose the former. So so for me, the grind, it's, it's important definitely to put in the work, but also just be self-aware about where most of your efforts are going and make sure that mostly heading towards the leverage actions that will help you take big leaps in your business. Wonderful. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. And I guess it's being really aware of where you're spending your time. And, you know, maybe it's easy, easier to, to do up your website because you don't have to talk to anyone, but much more valuable to go to a networking event and, and you know, push past, past your comfort zone, even if it's going to, you know, cause a bit of short-term discomfort because it'll definitely pay dividends. And all about sort of strategic allocation of time. So yeah, really, really good advice for those listening. Winston, where, where can people find more about you? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. The best way to connect with me is probably through my website, Alien. So people can go on winstonclements.com and maybe we'll post a link at the end of the show. But yeah, that's the best place to reach me. And on there, you can find out, you can read my bio and watch some of my public speaking videos. And you can also connect, find all my social media links on the website as well. So feel free to reach out to me on any social media platform. I'd love to hear from you and hopefully be able to continue the conversation. Wonderful. Winston, thanks again for your time today to appear on the podcast and um, all the best for the future and for your mission to inspire over a billion people. Thanks again for having me, Aiden. It's been an absolute pleasure. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.